You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Charlene Estrada. She is founder and principal consultant at Elevate Beyond. We're going to talk about the world of cannabis and the world of management consulting and the world of operations and what it takes to really run a successful cannabis company. I think we're kind of getting into this period where it's no longer just how much THC you can produce in your (laughs) cultivated flower and get it to market, right? There's complexity that is now kind of coming to bear on really operating successful cannabis businesses and really kind of knowing what it means to have efficient operations, have strategic operations, and really kind of build and scale as this industry continues to evolve and, and continues to expand. So excited for this conversation, excited to kind of hear what Charlene's running into in terms of cannabis companies she works with, what she's learning, what she's seeing, and where the cannabis industry is going. So with all that, Charlene, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Bruce. I'm looking forward to this podcast. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Before we kind of dive into the world of cannabis and things you're doing today, I would love to get some background. How did you get into management work? How did you get into cannabis? What's the story? Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I spent 25 plus years in healthcare, health tech. And during the pandemic, I really had time to reflect on, am I still passionate about what I'm doing? And ultimately, the answer was yes. I still am driven by wanting to solve healthcare inequities access to care issues and improving people's lives. That's why I got into what I do, but I was no longer satisfied with how I was doing it in terms of my career through traditional healthcare, pushing pharmaceuticals. And I really wanted to reinvent how I did that. And cannabis as a longtime consumer was something that I felt very passionately about because one, I feel like healthcare is a basic human right, not a privilege. And I think that plant medicine is going to transform and revolutionize our health and wellness industry. And I want to be part of that. I wanted to be part of ensuring that everyone that needs it has safe, equitable access to cannabis and plant medicine. And so that's what drove me to make a career pivot. I'll say this this late in, in life in my career, I just turned 50 <laughs> and my career pivot was a few years back. And you know, I read so much on LinkedIn. Oh, if you've been in corporate America for more than 10 years, you know, you're too out of touch to become an entrepreneur wow. sense. Yeah. And so here I am. Yeah, I'll fight that one. I'll fight that comment as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, given the experience that you've had kind of outside of cannabis, what drove you, you know, inspired you to really kind of get into cannabis in terms of I mean, obviously, Canada is, is a, a fairly complicated and has a long legacy. Like, how did that, I guess, decision kind of play out for you? Was it super clear and slam dunk where they're kind of 
consternations you had around like, should I do this? What does this really mean for me professionally? Like how, how did that play in terms of making that decision? Oh, it wasn't clear. It wasn't clear cut. Um, When I knew I wanted to make a career pivot, I hired a career coach and we went through all of my passions. Uh So I was everything from, I'm a, I'm a, a closeted, political junkie. So we went, uh, we, we went down a political strategist path. I love it. I love interior design. We went down interior design path and I love cannabis. And yeah. eventually after numerous assignments, conversations, it kept coming back to cannabis. And she just told me, she's like, Shirley, she's like, we keep coming back to this. Yeah. You know, what's stopping you from moving forward? And I just, I said, you know what? Nothing, nothing's yeah. stopping me from moving forward. It was coming out of the green closet. Yeah. Of course, being in corporate America for as long as I was, it wasn't something that I readily shared with folks that I had been a user since I was mm-hmm. a, a 16 years old. So yeah. my whole my whole adult life. Yeah. Um, and it was just, I think, taking that first step in sharing with colleagues and friends and family that I was going to pursue a career in cannabis was really kind of the what was stopping me, I think, mentally. And then once I got over that hurdle, it was building a network. It's starting from ground zero, basically building Mm -hmm. a network in a whole new industry, learning about it. I mean, as a consumer, that's one thing, but learning about the industry and the complexities in the industry, that was a whole other, you know, ball of wax. And so really just kind of soaking it all up, attending as many events, attending as many webinars, meeting folks, attending conferences really helped me start to understand and appreciate the industry, the complexities, and and the patchwork of regulations that are that we have to face every day in this in cannabis. Yeah, I'm curious because I, I speak to a lot of people who are you know either have gone from other industries into cannabis or are thinking about coming into cannabis from other industries and and you know there's this kind of professional you know as you said kind of coming out of the green closet you know kind of professionally and then personally as well like a lot of folks you know there is some navigating to do in terms of personal relationships, family relationships, getting into the space. Where did you find that you had to navigate that? Any friction, any surprises, any you know pleasant surprises or not pleasant surprises around as you started to identify that, hey, look, I'm working with cannabis. I have a relationship with cannabis. What happened for you in terms of some of your professional and personal relationships? Interestingly enough, I, there was huge interest from my ex-healthcare colleagues, mm-hmm. but they won't share it publicly on social media, (laughs) but I get a ton of emails, private DMs, asking, inquiring. And then there are some, I mean, they all, I'll say when I made the career pivot and I was leaving, I I had several teams. And so, like I said, during the pandemic, everything was virtual. So instead of having a big going away party, they had like a big going away Zoom. And someone asked me, well, what do you, you know, why are you leaving? What are you going to do? And I said, I'm, I'm making a career pivot into cannabis. And I got all these high fives and claps in the, in the Zoom meeting. And so there was definitely support, but there's a lot of folks that are interested, but aren't yet comfortable. The stigma is still alive and well in not wanting to outwardly share support or interest or even curiosity. And then as far as my family, they were very supportive. I do remember when I told my parents we were at lunch and gosh, I think my my father almost fell out of his chair and my, my mom with her mouth was left, uh, you know, on the floor. But after I, you know, I collected myself and I explained to them kind of the reasoning behind it, because I truly believe in plant medicine. I know it helps improve the lives of others. I do believe it's medicinal. They were a hundred percent behind me because they know that I don't do anything just on a whim. This was something very thought out, very planned. Um, and then when I started to share it with broader friends, relatives, family members, I got a lot of support. 
it's still kind of a, I'll say, touchy subject with certain more conservative family members, but yeah. they all respect my decision. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That's really helpful because I think a lot of people either have had to go through similar experiences or are worried about that. And, you know, I always tell people that, yes, there's always a risk and you are going to have to navigate some of those things. You know, it's also, I think, kind of a test of your relationships. That's right. So, you know, like, okay, like, why are you friends with certain people and what is the judgment and where are they in terms of their own evolution around this? So in terms of professionally, I'm curious, as given the vast experience you've had in, you know, in other professions and healthcare, what were you able to transfer kind of directly into the work that you're doing in cannabis? What were you able to kind of transfer with modification? And then what just didn't transfer at all for you as you got into cannabis? So excellent question. What transferred for me is I knew that my skills and my experience were transferable in terms of strategy and planning, leadership and team development, change and project management. All of those things are needed. They're industry agnostic. What I needed to change was my approach to them because cannabis being a new and emerging industry, working mostly with startups, I couldn't come in with a lot of structure and rigor. It turned my clients off. I needed to be more agile and adaptable and nimble mm -hmm. and be able to pivot when they needed to pivot. And so that was one of the things where I knew my skill set was transferable, my approach needed to be tweaked, and what's not transferable is having a sense of, I'll say, not even consistency, just every day is a new day, right? Managing kind of in the chaos, you have to be able to deal really well with ambiguity and be able to navigate and lead through ambiguity. And so for someone that has been in corporate for so long and you kind of know the landscape, the environment, there's more stability in a lot of corporate positions, that out the window. You just have to forget about all that and just go with the flow, roll with the punches and figure it out as you go along. Yeah. Yeah. And so you made this professional decision to get involved in cannabis. Like where did you find kind of purchase or what was your kind of entry point? Where did you start? What did you learn? How have things evolved? So first thing I did was start to build out a network because I didn't really have a, a cannabis network. So I built my network. And like I said, through the pandemic, everything was still virtual. So there wasn't a lot of like live events, in-person meetings. So everything was really online webinars, conferences, read a ton, you know, signed up for newsletters, networks, everything about that. The biggest thing I think that helped me was very early often finding two really great mentors. One that is also a consultant and executive advisor and someone that's an educator. And so being able to have those mentors really helped me navigate my growth and experience about the industry and how to apply my skill set was invaluable to me. And I do believe that it helped fast track my ability to get my foot in and start to get clients. Now, getting the clients was the hardest thing. Getting my first client was the hardest thing. I did have to do some pro bono work, really got more active in LinkedIn and posting and really sharing kind of my knowledge and my, my background. But once I got that first client, they were happy with my work. You get word of mouth referrals. Your network starts to learn about you. I've gotten mm -hmm. clients through my network as well. And so that for me was the the toughest part was just hanging in there long enough to get that first client. Yeah. And in terms of where you found you could really help these folks, where I guess where they needed help, where it overlapped with your kind of skills and experience and background, what did you find you were actually helping them with? And how is that, I guess, what, what's the value you create for the clients that you work with? 
So where they think they need help and where they actually need help are often two different things. Yes. You know, when I first meet with a potential new client, I'll ask them like in terms of their business maturity, where do they think they're at? Do they need help stabilizing the business, operationalizing the business or optimizing it? And they'll say, oh no, we're definitely in the operationalize, optimize. And so for me, that means operationalize their they're starting to do lean process, starting mm -hmm. to do process improvements, standardizing things. Optimize is we want to capitalize on our strengths and our opportunities for new market capture, new product expansion, whatever that may be. When I get in there, I realize that they probably aren't as stable as they think, meaning they probably don't have a clear mission or vision. And when there's one or two co-founders and a small team of like five or 10 people, they can get away with not having that, but as they grow and they need to scale, if they don't have anything anchoring that team down, it can become messy. And so convincing them that to really be able to exponentially grow and scale, they need to build the right foundation, the right operational foundation, the right organizational foundation. And that sometimes takes them back to, let's talk about roles and responsibilities. Let's talk yeah. about what is your mission and your long-term vision? What is your strategy and what's your plan to get there? And a lot of times all of that's new to them and they've just been kind of building the plane as they're flying it and didn't have some of that. Now, all of that sounds very administratively heavy and burdensome, and it can be a turnoff to folks who just want to go. I just want to produce. I just want to execute. And so that's where, when you talked earlier, you mentioned earlier, what do you need to do to tweak these things? This is where I think of more agile, nimble ways of being able to deliver these things, but not go overboard in terms of documentation or bureaucracy because they want to be fast. They want to get to market. They want to start to, you know, build their business or grow their business. Yeah. Yeah. And what have you noticed? I mean, any kind of things that you've noticed about cannabis companies in terms of the sort of general industry struggles that you tend to run into a lot? Well, I think the patchwork of rules and regulations from state to state is yeah. really difficult, right? It's hard for you to build a national brand when you've got to do it uniquely in each state. The other thing, a few years back when we had low interest rates and capital was plentiful, we all we had to do was have kind of a, I'll say half-assed pitch deck and yep. we were given money. Now things have changed that, that I'll say sense of optimism a few years back, 2019, 2020, has gone into a little bit of a disillusionment. Mm -hmm. And investors now really want to know, how are you going to be spending this capital? I want to make sure that you guys have a clear plan. What are you going to do strategy. with my money? Exactly, exactly. And how am, I, how am I going to get my return on investment? Yeah, exactly. So, when do I get it back? That's right. And so it goes back to then we have to have a really clean pitch deck. And what does that mean? You have to have your financial projections tightened and buttoned up. You have to have realistic projections. I mean, before it was like, oh, we're going to grow you know, millions over the next six months. And so a lot of it goes, it's back to the basics, honestly. And those companies that are able to really be thoughtful about what they want, how they're going to get it. This is the, the strategy, the execute or the strategy, the planning, and then be able to execute on it are the ones that I see are, are going to end up coming out on top. But it's, it's really, I'll say difficult right now, even for those companies that did all everything right. If they're not sustaining through their own profits, if they're still relying on capital funding, it's it's a little scary right now. I have a couple of clients that really feel like from month to month, they're assessing what what they can and can't do. Yeah. 
And what parts of the industry do you find yourself working mostly with? I mean, cultivators, processors, retail, dispensary, all of them, where, where are you kind of landing? Retail. So I've got a couple retail and then branding, marketing, and some research and development. Yeah. Um, and CBD as well. Oh, okay. Interesting. And and so is there any part of this market that you are most interested in or kind of applicable to? Like just the, the, the nature of the challenge, your kind of background, right? Like is, is there areas that you find yourself drawn to in terms of the cannabis world? Yeah, I, I definitely feel like retail, branding, marketing are more where I, my skill set fits. Um, what I would really like to learn more about is, though, in the the cultivation. That's yeah. where I'm least knowledgeable and where I would really like to know more about it. And I've had folks, when I first started in the industry, they said, you know, you need to go work on a farm, go trim, go work mm, at a dispensary. Yeah. And I was not opposed to that. I And then I thought, well, you know what? Started to go pitch it. And I thought, this doesn't feel right because I know I'm going to only go there for a month or two to get a better understanding, to understand. And is it fair for them to train and onboard me when I know yeah. I'm gonna be here for a couple of months? And so I found alternative ways to really understand what the consumer wants, what my client or my customer issues are, what their pain points are, what keeps them up at night or where are they stuck? But the one area I haven't really been able to learn much about is in cultivation. And it is um, something very interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, no, so it's one of the things I've learned about cannabis is it is so multifaceted. I mean, there's, there's so many different aspects to it, whether you're kind of in the core plant touching kind of chain or until and certainly products and services. I mean, there's like, you can get into tech, you can get into plant science, agriculture, or there's like, you know, medicine, right? There's so many different angles to this stuff. What, I guess, any interesting kind of experiences in working with some of the different markets in terms of the different states that you've seen sort of particularly interesting kind of developments or, or markets that you think are doing particularly well? Well, I'm here in California, and so I've worked with mostly California companies, but, you know, we've been, we were one of the earlier states. And so right now we've kind of feeling, like I said, that kind of sea of disillusionment. But then I see on the East coast, you know, my sister lives in New Jersey, she lives in Hoboken and she works in New York over there, just the enthusiasm and the sea of optimism that's happening right now. And so the dichotomy between the two is interesting. I oftentimes will join webinars or virtual events on the East Coast. And it's just a completely different look and feel right now. They're they're in that early honeymoon stage and very excited. And so I wouldn't mind working with some companies over on the East Coast that have that because I've been kind of mired in the reality of what happens after that. And so that's that's interesting to me. The other thing that I find interesting is this whole us against them. This was one of the first things that was really obvious to me between, I'll say, legacy operators and, and folks coming from different corporate or professional backgrounds, this, you know, roots versus suits, the child yep. versus the brads, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it that was the, this, one of the most obvious things to me. And at the end of the day, we need each other. We really yep. do. If we want to truly have a thriving industry, we need each other. And for me, that's, it's building that bridge and really having, you know, respect for those legacy operators and wanting to help them. That really was for me, when I first started, my main focus was I want to, I want to be able to help some of these folks that can't get their foot in the door, help them build and scale a business where they're going to be successful in doing what they love to do and help and let them lean on me for me to help them do things that maybe they're not as comfortable, familiar with. And so 
For me, I, I really did notice with each state, they go through a very similar, I'll say, life cycle. It's super excited, um, <laughs> the opportunities there, and then you kind of the reality hits, and then you go through this trial of disillusionment. And now I think we're bouncing back. So in California, what I'm noticing is that craft cannabis is starting to make a resurgence. And I have a, a client that does research development and marketing, and they're really starting to work with some up in like Humboldt County and the Emerald Triangle. Some of those craft cannabis cultivators that they know how to grow good weed, but they don't have the capital or the know-how to market and brand it. And this company wants to really help them um, find that bridge to the right retailer dispensaries that are gonna really support sun-grown craft cannabis, give them some shelf space, really make that a predominant you know, focus of the dispensary. And so that's startup I'm working on, and I'm really, really excited about what they're gonna bring to market. Yeah. I guess what are the big issues that you kind of see in the industry or, you know, if I give you a magic wand and you could change some things around the cannabis industry, what would you change? Why? What would really help us, you know, grow and scale this business? Well, I think first safe banking, you know, safe banking yeah. has to pass. I think federal legalization. I know there are a lot of folks that talk about rescheduling versus descheduling, knowing how the government works. I, I don't think that they're going to completely deschedule it. I think it will be a rescheduling. And I think that comes with a whole other host of concerns and issues. But yeah. I also think that it's a step in the right direction. And so for me, the biggest hurdles are around the federal, I'll say rules and regulations that make cannabis so prohibitive to be thriving industry. Yeah. That's I'll say externally, internally, I think some of these cannabis companies are their own worst enemies because they really don't spend the the time to truly plan and develop a business that they're going to want to grow and scale. It, they're so eager to get to market with their product or with their services that they just want to immediately go. And then once they start to grow, they realize we didn't put the right infrastructure in place to scale. And then they're left with the really hard decision of how are we going to figure out how to scale? Do we scale? Or do we have to be acquired in order to scale? And that's oftentimes where a lot of the merger and acquisition, you know, activity comes in is these poor distressed companies have gotten themselves in a position where they have to make those tough decisions. We don't have the capital, the financial capital to scale as we've grown and we're kind of stuck. Yeah. And we have to make that hard decision or um, we, we have to um, do some kind of a strategic partnership to stay afloat. And so I don't like when that happens, but I'm seeing it more and more often. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a challenge like, kind of making these, you know, how much, how much energy you do put up front in terms of investing in scaling strategy versus just getting to market, getting That's the business right. going. That's right. And it is a yeah. balance. It's yeah. definitely a balance that we have to look at and think what is right for them. It's no one size fits all. Each, each company, each client is different. Yeah. I, I'm curious, given your background in, in healthcare space, like where, how do you think healthcare companies, even just kind of the medical kind of establishment, the medical community, like where, where is the evolution of this from really kind of adopting or embracing or integrating this into standard healthcare practices? Oh, that's a good question. Yes. So spending so much time in the healthcare industry, they are one of the most, most risk adverse yeah. industries because they are dealing with matters of, of life and death. And people used to joke when I would tell them that, but it's true. I mean, health insurance companies, 
you know, if they screw something up and your health card tells you you're ineligible on January 1st and yeah. you've got life-saving cancer drugs or life-saving drugs and you can't get them and you can't afford to pay out of pocket until that screw up gets resolved, that's a serious issue. And so yeah. I think the healthcare industry is a ways off in adopting medical cannabis, but I've seen glimmers of hope. So recently I read an article that spoke to there are diagnosis codes that health insurance industries use to cover medical expenses. Um, when a doctor prescribes something or does a medical procedure, there's a diagnosis code that they submit and the health insurance company looks as this covered under this patient's plan, et cetera. And if so, they'll pay on behalf of the patient. And so the fact that they're actually now creating diagnosis codes <laughs> for specifically for cannabis as plant medicine is, is really encouraging to me. The other area where I think is going to take a long time, even probably longer than health insurance companies to cover some of it is around just the medical profession in general, starting to incorporate plant medicine into medical education and medical schooling. And they're not, I don't think they're going to readily do that on scale and mass until there's enough empirical evidence and research to show that yes, it is truly a, a treatment for X issue, mm -hmm. disease, whatever. And I think that's still a ways off, but more and more medical professionals are starting to be curious about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just fascinating to see how the health insurance companies, the drug companies, you know, how the whole industry is kind of responding to this and, and how they really have different approaches or there are yeah. different motives, I guess, behind the scenes in terms of, you know, adopting or not adopting or embracing or not embracing cannabis and, and some of these other cannabinoids and stuff. So it's fascinating. Absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, you know, we've got alcohol, tobacco and big pharma oh, yeah. and the lobbyists there have a stronghold on much of what our, our government and our representatives will do, will pass, will propose. And that's going to continue to be a barrier. Um, and a lot of folks are really fearful that once pharma sinks their teeth into cannabis as an industry, it's going to destroy oh, yeah. it. And yeah. I think in the future, there will be kind of a, a divergence, two separate paths, truly like medical research being done where they may be able to extract cannabinoids or certain very, you know, isolated items that will be able to treat specific conditions. And then those more, I'll say, for recreational or therapeutic use, where it's the whole plant and, and consuming in however you want. It's not going to be through the medical route. And I think it will kind of split and we'll have we'll see two different paths for cannabis. Yeah. Charlene, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Absolutely. They can go to my website, elevatebeyondconsulting.com. Or also, like I said, I'm very active on LinkedIn, Charlene Estrada, all one word, and they can find me there as well. Great. Now make sure that the URL and the handle for LinkedIn is in the show notes so people can get that. Charlene, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely, Bruce. You have a good one. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter 
at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. 